Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck is going on? God damn it. I can't get it together. I've not, okay, I've been off the nicotine for, it'll be two weeks. It'll be two weeks. Uh, things are going okay, aside from that constant yearning. I've been doing little things to try to, to placate that. Little mints, and maybe some Altoids. I've been doing the Altoids. I also dug up these old licorice things that I was addicted to at one point in my life. Licorizia Amarelli. These strange little candies that I remember ordering from Italy because I was so hooked on them. And they're what you call an acquired taste. An acquired taste is usually something that tastes like shit, but then if you do it enough, you can't get enough of it. That's not to say it's good or bad. It's an acquired taste. That's what these licorice things are. But I, I just need to put shit in my mouth. I just do. I, let's get to the heart of it. Can we, can we talk frankly about it? I know I'm a little manic. I know. Okay, I got some JustCoffee.coop going. Hold on. Pow! I just shit in my head. That's what I've been doing. I've been shitting in my own head. Just pulling down my pants, shitting in my head. Anybody relate to that? Anybody? If I shove another thing into my face, I went to the doctor last week, had a full physical, got finger banged, did the whole 10 yards, talked to the guy to try not to cry too much, had my blood work done, got the STD screen, got the cholesterol screen, got the numbers back. You know what? Cholesterol, a little high, a little high. You know why? Because I've been on the road. And you know what I've been doing on the road? Eating bacon, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Shoving meat right into my face whenever I can. Scooping ice cream out of pint jugs. Doing that, that is, that's the whole business. I am too old for this shit. But this is where we get to the core of my, my issues. I think beyond drug addiction, beyond alcohol, beyond sex, there is food. Beyond it all, it's just a mountain of food. It's a never-ending buffet that I'm late for. I am a man with food issues, and I'm not proud of it. But now I'm off the nicotine, and all I can think about is getting fat. I'm looking at pictures of myself, folks. I'm scanning pictures. I'm going through the boxes because I just figured out how to scan. And there are some doughy periods. I, I'd like to call them doughy as opposed to fat. Some doughy periods. I'm noticing that I eat like an inmate. Like uh, like somebody who's been incarcerated for a while that you know I literally I put my my I put my arm around my plate and I just I kind of lean into the plate and start shoveling it into my mouth. I don't know many people that do this, but I'm one of those guys that no matter who I'm eating with, they're like Jesus Christ, you ate fast. They just serve the food and it's gone. And I say things like, Why well, you know I want to eat it while it's hot. You know what's the point of letting it sit there? It starts to get shitty. I just shovel stuff into my mouth because it feels good to shovel it in and I, I barely even chew it. I think that's why I'm gassy. I'm a little gassy sometimes, and I think it's because I, I swallow my food whole. I do not masticate properly. I just want to shovel food into my mouth. Now, why I'm talking about this to you now is because now I'm off the nicotine, and I just want to shovel the food in. I just want to eat. I just I, And I do this thing where I'll bake shit. I'll bake a cake to have a bite, but then it just sits there, and I'll eat half a cake. There's a cake in there now. Ate half of it. And I know you're saying, shut up, Mark, you're not fat. It can always happen. I can always get fat. I can feel myself getting fat right now. My problem is, why the fuck do I think about it 24-7 just about? This, most of my brain is filled with like, oh, Christ, do I look shitty? Do I look fat? I'm, I'm ashamed of this. It feels good to eat. It feels good to shove food into your face. Are you kidding? Ice cream? It just feels good. Pie? Feels good. Steak? Great. How about a turkey burger? Excellent. What What do you got in the cake department? I'll have some of that, and I'll just I'll, I'll I'll just wish I could eat that way all day long. And then if I eat something like right now, I cook this cake. It was an experimental cake, and I ate half of it. That was part of the experiment, apparently, is to see how much I, I could eat. And I know I've complained about this before, but I'm just a little concerned. I have to fucking talk to somebody about this. I seriously have to talk to somebody about this. I have to talk to Doctor Steve. Almost Dr. Steve. Who's, who's the doctor, I believe? Pretty soon he should be. I'm going to talk to him about this food business. 
On the show today, I had an interesting opportunity to interview Daniel Handler, or as you may know him if you have kids or are a child at heart, uh, Lemony Snicket. Uh, Daniel Handler is the author of all the Lemony Snicket books, and I, I caught up with him in San Francisco. I hope you enjoy that. And then after that, I will talk to Dr. Steve about this manorexia problem I have, about this weird body image problem I have, because I'm about to go shit crazy. I'm about to go back on Weight Watchers. I've done Weight Watchers. I've never been more happy than I have when I was counting my calories and weighing my food. There's a certain amount of control in that. And then you just get emaciated and you get to continue to weigh your food. But the problem is if I lose a lot of weight, folks, my head looks, I look like a bobbly, what is it, a bobblehead toy, which is not a bad look if you're a bobblehead toy. What else is going on? Let's, let's pitch. Let's plug some dates. And I'll be eating, by the way, in all of these places. I'll be uh, on July 17th in Minneapolis. I'll be eating some food. And then I'll be doing a show at the Triple Rock Social Club that evening. On July 19th and 20th, I will be in Brooklyn, probably eating some pizza. But I'll also be appearing uh, at the Union Hall in Brooklyn on the 19th and 20th. Uh, on the 23rd of July, I will be, uh, um, of course, I will be eating some food, uh, and then I'll be performing at Great Scott in Alston, Massachusetts. And on the 24th, I'll be doing, doing a short set at the Comedy Studio, uh, but also eating some food there in Cambridge, because that's what I do, folks. I do comedy, and I shove shit into my face. And I hate myself for one of those things. Can you pick which one? I do want to tell you one thing, that uh, I was the adult on the plane reading the first Lemony Snicket book. Oh, so I, I bet you that got the whole row. You got your whole, whole row to yourself. Well, I, you know, I... They said but, creepy man reading children's books. Right. You know what? What? I'm going to move back to row 80. <laughs> I'm going to let this guy have that whole row. Well, I mean, I, like, I, I've done a couple of shows with you, and I, I think you're very funny and very smart. And uh, I enjoyed listening to you talk, but I had never read the book because I don't have children. Right. No, it's very it's a sensible choice. And you've read you've written what twelve of them? Thirteen. And I, by the way, my guest is a Daniel Handler, aka Lemony Snicket. Hello. Aka. Is there another one you use? Another name? That um, you write. Under? I wrote a book under the name of the Pope. The Pope. Yeah. How it's was that called? Book? How to Dress for Every Occasion by the Pope. Did that sell good? Not that well, no. But the Lemony Snicket books, gangbusters. Yeah, the Lemony Snicket books, that's definitely paying the mortgage. I, uh, the Pope book, not so much. I um, I found that, because uh, like, I, I don't read children's books, because I don't have children. Right. So I haven't really read a children's book. Do you have plans to have children? Not that I know of. I mean, at this point, it's either going to happen spontaneously, or someone's going to show up with a child I had. Right. Which, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the only way it would happen? Yeah, which I, I don't, I'm not sure I would be horrible with. You, you know right. what I mean? Like, it, like who it was, I bet. who it was, and how yeah. old the kid was. Exactly. If he's gotten, if it was hurt, Condoleezza Rice, and it was a teenage boy, you'd I, be in trouble. Well, I'd certainly remember that. I, I think I'd remember if I'd had sex with Condoleezza Rice. That would, seems like actually something you would blot out. Not you, but something one would blot out. Well, I, I'd be pretty proud of it. I think you know maybe because she would have been a different type of person then. You know, I was the thing right, that exactly. turned her to the right. Exactly. <laughs> you were the bottom she hit. Exactly. She said, you know what? I got to go back to school. I got to turn my whole life. Look what I've done. Dear God in heaven. You know what? I'm going to be Secretary of State. Yeah. Fuck it. I'm Fuck joining that. the Republican Party. I'm never going to end up in bed with a Jewish comedian again. <laughs> I got to take a long, well, hard shower well, and watch the what Jew What was I thinking? Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what, what I was... <laughs> What I was interested, like, because I think the the last time I read a children's book, like the ones that I remember reading, are like uh, the Five Chinese Brothers. Oh yeah, that was like, but that's be that's younger than this. Yes, this is sh this and is. And I going, think it's seven Chinese Brothers. Is it seven? Like, see, when I read it, it was five. They must right. have added but two. Right, well, yeah, well, boy. <laughs> <laughs> there was just a guy that held the ocean in his mouth, and a few yeah, other ones. Yeah, that's the only part I remember. How can you forget that? But this thing, like, what is this for? Eleven to fifteen or something? Something like that. Yeah. Some really young kids have them read to them, and then um, if you get past a certain age, the, this I always think is funny, they call it a cult following. Oh, because... That must be like you, because you do a certain kind of comedy, so it would be called a cult following. Yeah, Even but... if you were hosting, like, if you were on the biggest sitcom in the history of the world, 
they would still, because of the kind of comedy you do, call you, you'd be like, well, he has right. a cult. Right, the, the sitcom, cult. yeah, the, and the yeah. cult would be very angry that I did a sitcom. Right. And I'd have a hard time holding my cult together exactly. because now I was a sellout. <laughs> of course, it's always hard holding a cult together. Yeah, it is. Eventually, you got to get out the Kool-Aid yeah, and the Reeboks. That's right, because the, the, the energy it takes to delude them into thinking that you're the leader. It's is not worth of, it. It's not worth it. You wake up every day as a cult leader and you say, That's, is I, this what I want to do with my life? When I'm 50, when I'm 60? <laughs> Let's just have everyone kill themselves. seducing virgins? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that, that doesn't sound so bad. But I always said that. I always thought, like, you know, I wanted to be a cult leader. I think I have the charisma to do it, but I just don't, I don't have the vision. You know, I, right. I, don't, want, I don't want to get, a, you know, like 40,000 people together in an arena and get behind a microphone and say, so uh, what do you guys want to do? Right, yeah. I think I would be bad at the, um, any kind of uh, roughing it. You know, any kind of industrial food bunker life situation is not going underground. No. Yeah. Where did you uh, grow up? I grew up here in San Francisco, born and raised. You're a Jew from San Francisco? I am. There's not many like Jewy no, Jews we've here. We've been hunted nearly to extinction. The <laughs> or, Buddhists take us over one by one. Pressured to pass, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> to pass is what? It's bad as the Californians? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I like I don't I I lived here for a couple of years. I could not find any Jewish identity at all here, really. Um yeah, there's like a vague leftist one, I guess. Yeah, well that's better than the other ones. The yeah. lunatic Zionist righties. Right, right. I mean, yeah. Well, this is the thing with Judaism, right? What is your choice? Yeah, my choice, choice is either kind of fascism. Yeah. Or or or, or hippie like, Buddha yeah, Jew. Jew it's kind of Jewish if yeah. you stay home on a Friday. Yeah, we have Seder plates yeah. and you know, we have people over that night. Right. <laughs> We, yeah. do our, we do our version of the Seder. <laughs> we don't have a picture of Jesus on the Christmas tree, so maybe that doesn't count. <laughs> it's a Hanukkah tree. Yeah. Now, and where you went to school here as well? Yeah. Uh, Lowell High School, Herbert Hoover Middle School. And you went to college here? No, I went to uh, Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. Right, so you got fancy at college. Yeah. And you studied English. I milked my parents for all they were worth. Sure. I studied English and American studies. That was my double major. The two big money makers. Yeah, me too. I was yeah, English like and film crit. Oh, there you go. Yeah, film yeah. crit's a very popular. people get nervous when they say English major, and then you're like, boom, American yeah. studies. <laughs> I'm on top of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. See you in the Hummer. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Did you have any, like, what was your original goal? I mean, when you when, in college? No, I mean, well, I mean, what, yeah, in college, because I know you do music too. But yeah, in college, were you setting out to be a writer, or were you just yeah, wasting I time? Wanted, I, no, I wanted to be a writer, but but I mean, at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut, everybody wants to be a writer. You yeah, know, that wasn't right. It, yeah, it was like everyone was like, well, I could work as fiction editor of the New Yorker if it didn't work out for me. But like, basically, I'm going to be the a novelist. Writer. Yeah. And, then, and when um, did you write your first I, novel? I think I was the only one who was like not kidding. And when did you write your first novel? Uh, I wrote my first novel right after I graduated from college, and then I threw it away, and then I wrote another novel. That seems to be the path most people take. And what was the first novel about? It was about a uh, two married couples who get drunk and shoot the celebrity mayor of the small northern California town, inspired by Clint Eastwood back when he was the mayor of Carmel. And then they uh, hide out in their summer home and see if the cops are going to catch them. Was there swinging, or was it all just blood and guts? No, it was all blood and guts. So there was no Updike, Cheever? No. Just No, you know, and I think actually that um, it says something about the sad state of my affairs that that didn't even occur to me when I was writing it. That's one of the things (laughs) when I threw it away. I was like, you know what would have spiced this novel up a little bit? If someone Four people trapped in a house, real tense. (laughs) No sex. Yeah. No, why would you put sex in it? Yeah. It cheapens... (laughs) The philosophical content. <laughs> well, okay. So it's getting back to the book. Like I, I read the book and I and I liked the book. As a grown up, I liked it. I'm glad. But I, I guess the would make like, it awkward on the podcast. Otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I liked it. I, I, I would have, uh, it would have been awkward. But no, I would have said if I didn't like it. But the thing that interests me is that it's, it's morbid. It's dark. Uh, there are life lessons in there. There are some fairly. Uh, some concepts that I, I think are that might be a little uh, important for kids to know that I don't think I've seen in other books. Put it in, in that way. And I imagine you've had this conversation about these books before. But what do you think it is about, like, when you wrote a, ch- a book for people this age, were you challenging them? I mean, did you want it to be dark for a reason? No, I didn't really think about them. I didn't know any children when I started writing the book. I'd written this book about 
young people. My first published novel was a, was about kids in high school, but it wasn't for kids in high school. And um, and then uh, and somebody read it and they said, oh, well, you should write something for young people. And I thought it was a terrible idea. But then I sort of began to have this idea pop into my head anyway. But I didn't know anything about children. And um, I hadn't read any children's books forever really yeah. except maybe when you go home and you're in your childhood bedroom then, yeah, yeah oh this one yeah and yeah. Then you spiral down like yeah. that and you end up you know crying in a fetal position to the mushroom planet again <laughs> yeah um and so i just I, but i just thought uh it would be interesting and funny to have terrible things happen to children over and over again that just seemed <laughs> like a, did you get like any flack from parents I mean, initially when the books came out, did you? It... No, I no, and I've gotten really little flack now for more than ten years since they came out. And in fact, the flack is so little that I feel like whenever I talk about it, it makes it seem like it's like I'm drumming up controversy. Right. It reminds me of like. I don't know. I Sell some think, more books. Well, I always think controversial is this word that gets overused. You know, yeah. we're like Lady Gaga's controversial new video. And I really? think like, there has to be a controversy. Yeah. It can't just be a woman wearing a mask and yeah. no pants. <laughs> yeah. Like it's kind, there has to be like real controversy. Yeah. Like people have to be like, I'm I'm not watching TV ever again. And <laughs> neither are a hundred thousand of my friends because that would of be this great. video. That would be a controversy. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like, it's just selling. Should Lady Gaga do that? It's like, yeah, sure. What are you, her mom? Like, don't worry about it. She's doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'll work out her problems later, probably. Have you had kids that are now 25 come up to you and say that, you know, you changed my life or that you taught me something? Yes. Like, what is what What do they say? Um, They mostly, the most of the kind of 20-somethings that I have met who were 10 when the books first started coming out, mostly what they say is that they were lonely. Like, they were lonely and that they didn't know that there were any books that were dark and spooky or dismal and that it made them really happy it made them feel like they had a friend because because um, uh, the life was so difficult for the Baudelaire's yeah I think and I think just that they found something I mean it reminds me of you know like when kids find punk rock right or or you know a, a gay lesbian sure. association or kind of whatever that they thought they were the only one who had this particular the portal in brain yeah and then they find something that makes them think there's more of it. Um, and I think that uh, it's, I don't know, I, I always find that moving because um, I had less of that growing up, I think, because this is such a fantastic town to grow up in. You know, yeah. you can take a walk and find food and bookstores and movies yeah, it's great. and all yeah. those things. And that, um, you know, like my wife grew up in suburbia and she just used to, there was one terrible record store she used to go into and one really lame yeah the library yeah and and you know it was like it was all terrible thrillers in the library yeah and like i was gonna say celine dion but she wasn't born yet whoever it was you know <laughs> the equivalent lame. yeah and that uh, you know and then like one day someone said you should listen to the smiths and it's like oh my was, god yeah, there's a whole you know, world out there of morosely depressed people that are yeah you know like oh wow there are four of them they made a record together and it's like oh no there's also the people who bought the record like look there is a picture of them in concert you know it was before the web so you couldn't just be like oh a new band now i'll listen to 85 songs and see all their videos and read an interview with them you know it was was isolated culture yeah you had to do your homework yeah and get out in the world now these kids that came up to you who were in their 20s did you find the are they similar? Were they gothics? Were they goths? Were they no? Were, they were all just kinds kids. Of kids. Yeah. I mean, some of them are really gothic, but there's also, I think, just a kind of ironic, for lack of a less cliche term, you know, look at the world, just kind of a gimlet gaze at the world, right? That the Snicket books have that you don't have a lot, you know, that says the world is ridiculous. It's sad but also ridiculous, and, and those things go hand in hand. Well, that's what I took from this, because, like, you know, if I was that age and someone put it to me plainly that life doesn't work out for you most of the time, and that that's just part of it, and this is about as bad as it can get, and these kids are dealing with it, so you're going to be okay. I can see how people would find solace in that on some level. Yeah, or, um, you know, you can behave well, but that it's not going to, you're not going to be rewarded because of that. <laughs> <laughs> you should behave well. For some so let go reason. of your dreams, 11-year-old. Well, you know, I think, I, I always think when you're young, you see all this kind of injustice in the schoolyard. You know, you just see like bullies who the teacher thinks are really smart or really handsome. 
who don't really get punished or you yeah. see goody goodies and you want to hit them. Yeah. You know, you just don't see a world that actually makes any kind of moral sense. Where were you in that? Um, I was, um, in the tell a joke so as not to get beaten up. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah. 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 It got me out of it. It's a the diplomacy. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we'll keep you around for a while. One more day. Yeah. It's, it's He's like funny. Let's not kick kinda. his ass today. Yeah. And it, Baudelaire, because I'm a big fan of Baudelaire, the poet, was that on your mind, his sensibility? Or is that just. Well, some... I think for me, reading Baudelaire when I was about 13 was a big step mind blower for me because um, he he you know he kind of disdains the world but he's hungry for all the details of it you yeah know? it doesn't yeah. stop him from like wanting to chase women you know where he's like sex and love are the worst thing in the world oh my god look at her yeah, like, yeah. she's awesome yeah and that um that you know that was me at 13 oh yeah you know? <laughs> that's me at 46 <laughs> yeah well that but... never has to go away <laughs> but he was the first me to at sort 13 of... was you at 46 that's <laughs> i got i have to do some math Hold well, on. I, I was that way at 13 where's too. the calculator <laughs> <laughs> but but that that idea that well he was also really the first uh, of those poets or one of the first poets to really kind of romanticize bleakness right yeah. and romanticize the grotesque exactly and elevate it to this level of uh, of giving a certain voice to the uh, the downtrodden and the disgusting and then he'd kind of rather be lonely you know he'd like rather be alone like drinking cheap wine with the rats scurrying around him and some like parties with all those phonies and right. For a 13-year-old who's not getting invited to the parties, you know, you're like, me too, man. Yeah. I'm with you, Baudelaire. So do you think any of these kids that uh, read your books were uh, went searching for Baudelaire? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think that the good news about the about the web and children's culture is that you can do things like that. You can just call things Baudelaire and then they... And They're going to check I, it out. When I, when I wrote it originally, I was like, oh, 10 years later, they'll be in college and then it'll be another shoe dropping and that's funny. But I didn't think like, no, actually... They'll Google it, and then right now. two minutes after they read it, they'll be like, "Oh, that's crazy." Yeah. So, how old are your? Ki- how many kids you got? I just got this one kid. He's six and a half. You like he's him? Graduated kindergarten. Yeah, he's still charming. Yeah. Um, you waiting for the other shooter drop? Well, inevitably, yeah. yeah. But he's um, he's like not on to me. You know, he, I I'm still fascinating to him, and um, yeah, he's great. But he's been fantastic throughout he's always i was i was about to say it's a good age but actually he's always been a good age so far so were you but, how, does, wood. how does he uh how does he compare to you were you, i mean like we i guess <laughs> i'm better yeah <laughs> were you a, if i had to choose one of us i would choose me <laughs> were you a dark kid though um, were you lonely i mean i for some reason when i read the book and and, and some other questions i want to ask about being a children's book writer because i have to assume that on some level that's going to be with you forever. Sure. Oh, and definitely. you don't mind? No. No. It doesn't like there's no, no part like of you that's it. like, but what about my novel? No. Well, I mean, I also write these novels for grownups that go out into the world like novels for grownups, and that only book. How you've written three other them. novels? Yeah, three. Oh, I've I, yeah. There's one more coming out in a little bit. Um, and what was but, the Jew book you wrote? The Jew book? Wasn't there a book with latkes in the title? Oh yeah, that's another Snicket book. Oh, it the, is the Laka who couldn't stop screaming. Is that the last Snicket book? Well, it's not part of a series of unfortunate events. It's like a bonus holiday book oh. about. Um, yeah, it's actually the full title is the Laka who couldn't stop screaming: A Christmas Story, and it's about a Laka who's frustrated by the kind of cheerful, inclusive symbols of Christmas. Uh-huh. Who are like, you're just like us, and he's like, I'm a totally different holiday. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to read all the books. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think you definitely should. Yeah, you should order them right now while you're Googling. Right, or while you're sitting here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, uh, so, now, but... Your wallets, in fact, it's right, right, there. right here. I can do it. Well, let's can... read your visa number into the podcast. Okay, let's do... I've done that. <laughs> I've given my phone number away by accident in a conversation. Oh, yeah? I left a message on a live, uh, internet radio show, or a TV show on the internet, and there are still people that text me occasionally. Wow. Who got my number. Yeah. Very few assholes, though. I was surprised, because that's usually an invitation to people going, douchebag. A long the- time ago on um, Slate magazine, like a long time ago, yeah. I wrote this piece in which I was complaining about, I went out to Coney Island with a, a friend of mine, and we had, had to use the bathroom, and the aquarium at Coney Island wouldn't let us. And uh, so I wrote a 
like a like a screed on Slate Magazine, and then you could click on a link and email them, which actually Slate Magazine set up. They're like, we found the email address, and for years, I used to get emails from whoever was in charge of like publicity at the aquarium. For years, they would email me and say, you know what, we just got another complaint, and like. We have good reasons for not letting people in the bath. Like I have to get the like we have the argument, and it used to happen like every eighteen months. But I loved the fury. I loved that I was still, and I would always write back and say, "You should have let me use the bathroom. I really, really had to go." <laughs> I'll never forget you. Yeah. I, I have no regrets about what I've done. Well, because I I don't know now it's turned. I'm now I'm about to recreate the beast. But it's actually there are moments in life that I feel that you need to to expand the critical thinking of others and that's one of them like whenever i've asked to use the bathroom in some weird place like an aquarium Mm -hmm. and anyone's given me a hard time i'm like you know how when you really need to use the bathroom and then you find yourself in a place where there's not an obvious bathroom and you're asking this is the situation that's going like what do you think it is i'm not here testing you yeah i need to go (laughs) right and like you you must know that if you are ending up at the aquarium not going to the aquarium and having to use the bathroom that you've already crossed some lines. So like, don't cross a further line. Yeah, yeah. Just let me use the bathroom. I'm in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> some towns are different. Like I'll, buy, I've gone into situations where I'll buy something because I don't even want to ask without having something to buy. Right. And then there was a period of time where you knew where bathrooms were. Yeah. Like Barnes and Nobles were always very reliable. Oh, I have a map in my head of this city. Right. Kind of, there's so many. And then there's some yeah, bad things like, you walk in. There's that Thai restaurant where it's right when you go in. And yeah. so no one even knows you're at the restaurant. Right. You're out of the bathroom. Yeah. And what are they going to do then? Yeah. Give it back or take it with you. <laughs> yeah. but, but like sometimes you go into Barnes and Nobles, which clearly got, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the homeless population got hip to that. Because I've been right. to Barnes and Nobles where it's like, oh, there's a shower going on. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a half naked guy in here. And that's okay. Yeah. And I imagine some of those places are, I don't, well, I don't know, but I imagine they, they get pretty uh, pretty nasty. I guess so, but I'm not going to be nasty, so I don't really have any patience yeah. for that. Well, I, I, sometimes I don't want to walk into nastiness. Yeah. Like, no, just here to do what you're supposed to do in yeah. here. Yeah. I have it the same when, um, when there's been some screw-up in a building where you're supposed to get in and they can't. You know, when they're like, well, I don't have you on the list. I'm like, well, could you call the person? You know, and they're like, nah, I can't do that, sir. You know, and you're like, does it happen a lot that people come in and they miraculously know the name of someone who works on the 17th floor of this building and they're trying to fake their way in with a name? Like, they're not faking their way with a fake name. Right. I've given you my idea. Like, you have everything. Well, that's something that... Like, put the pieces together yeah. of this mystery. What yeah, do you yeah. think it is? Yeah, you yeah. know what I think it is? I think you just got to call that guy and he's going to say, sure, send Hellner on up. That's that's what I think. Well, you know, that gets into this whole problem of people that are just unwilling to take any risks out of fear they'll be blamed for something. So that, that this is my Which job. I'm sure in a miserable job, they are blamed for things all uh, the time. But I want to be like, this is going to be one of those things yeah. where they're just going to let me in and yeah. then it's going to be off your plate entirely. Right. Be a You're good gonna person. You're going to go home yeah. and it's going to be a distant memory yeah. to you. Take the leap of faith with me. <laughs> I know that guy. Who's in? <laughs> yeah. is, I would be a good cult leader. <laughs> I, I think so. I was convinced. I kind of want to go somewhere now and just try it. <laughs> So, okay, so now you've written these 12 books, and you weren't a morbid kid, or you were? I was, I guess, a morbid kid. I don't know. I mean, I think it's that Jewish morbidity that's morbid, but, you know, you don't stop laughing or anything. Right, but, like, like, how morbid were you? Like, life is devoid of meaning, and it's nothing but pain and suffering, but that's, like, no reason to—don't whine about it. That is sort of a Jewish thing. Yeah. But you sort of accept it, and you go, why? Okay, I'll live with it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because like, you realize well, that's, that's awful. We're always staring into the face of a skull. But like, you know, we could see a movie for a little while and then we wouldn't be doing that. I don't know. <laughs> right. The Three Amigos. That's hilarious. Yeah. I, uh, I There were certain things. There were certain comedies that really uh, that changed my life. They did make me feel better. I don't think I was that deep as a kid, but I did get obsessed with circus freaks for a oh, while. Yeah? yeah. My wife is obsessed with circus freaks. Is she really? Yeah. She's writing a circus freak graphic novel right now. Really? That I find... Who's I find it? it really cool as a piece of like classic art, circus, but freaks? I find it as a as a psychological portrait of my wife. I find a little it kind disturbing. of unsettling. What do you make of you know, it? She's like, "What if they didn't have any legs, and then they had some mechanical legs?" You know, and I'm like, "Maybe, maybe you know, like some Mexican food. Let's go out for Mexican food." <laughs> what do you think you that freak, indicates? You dirty freak! Because I had a real fascination for it, and I think it's the same reason why people read, why kids get fascinated with lemony snicket books, is that you're dealing with some, you're dealing with a, a real person. That is up against such adverse adversity and weirdness and has exploited it for themselves to be accepted, which I think is something that that lonely kids feel. 
I guess that could be, yeah. There's in a later volume of a series of unfortunate events, they are at a carnival and they're in a freak show. But the freaks are all, like, w- one of them is a contortionist, you know, yeah. and she's like, like, I'm a freak, I'm a freak. And they're, they're like, well, actually, if you stop twisting yourself into weird positions, no one would know. That's, so they're all they're the all freaks. That? They're all like kind of self-made freaks. Oh really? You know, who are like, but the world has cursed me. And they're like, but you, yeah, if you just stop no. doing that. Yeah. yeah, Doc, it hurts when I do this. Yeah, exactly. don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a Jew. Yeah, I have to continue doing it. <laughs> so, I was thinking that with like vocalists with like extreme vocal. I remember I read an interview with Bjork once where she said that a lot of singers could get kind of straight professional work, but that back before she hit it big. Her voice was so strange that she couldn't get it, and it was—I I, was—I I didn't have much sympathy. You know, right? Like, maybe stop singing like a crazed elf, <laughs> and then if you want to get the tire commercial gig, they'll do that. But they're not going to hire. But no one's going to say like, "That's the freakiest voice I ever heard in my life." Perfect for Pepsi. Pepsi yeah. loves that. But then she waited full circle, and I'm sure she would be uh, in high demand for that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure she point. is. Yeah. But you have to like. There's something about integrity, I guess. I wouldn't know. <laughs> you never fought that fight with yourself? I, I, I can't imagine that somebody would say, fuck that guy, he writes children's books. I mean, he created this world that uh, is very appreciated internationally. I mean, I don't. Do you ever get flack from other writers that are like, yeah, that pussy? Uh, no, no, no. I think I only get flack from other writers when I complain in front of them. Oh, you know, really? I'm like, I'm, I'm on deadline now and. And, and they're like, Mr. You know, Lemony Snicket. Like, oh, poor thing. Yeah. yeah. Writing a book someone might read. It's rough all over. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the, uh, the, the actual public that reads literature? I mean, that reads real writing. Right. Is now this strange little demographic that is, uh, it's almost disturbing how few there are. Do you find that? I don't know. I, Well, I mean, my experience is so strange because then I'm in, you know, a Walmart in Nowheresville and there are all these people standing in line to read about orphans named Baudelaire. So I'm kind of... Well, I I think that's... Well, that's a little different because you've sort of touched a nerve. But there was a different time in our culture where, you know, weren't writers celebrated? Wasn't Norman Mailer on The Tonight Show? Well, I always kind of wonder. He was on The Tonight Show, but I wonder wonder what that translated to in terms of the... The regular people, yeah. Who's this guy? Right. Because yeah. I mean, it, I mean, my parents were both readers, but you know, my dad worked as an accountant and came home late, and it's difficult for me to imagine that before I was born, he was like, "I'll just read the Naked and the Dead." You know, I mean, he was a good writer. Yeah. I mean, a good reader. Yeah. But he, but why do you want to believe he too? was like, "Oh my God, Susan Sontag has a new book out." Like, it's it's hard to imagine that that was really what the golden age was. It right. always seems to me that it was more that you know media was just controlled by a slightly different set of people and yeah so they it was it, they hadn't it was figured thought, out oh susan sontag should be on this on the radio all the time she's an important writer right there was Whereas an intelligentsia now, no that, that still had a voice yeah uh in the media well and i think the media was less um was well it was because they because under reagan they broke down all those uh um kind of fair yeah media laws but um that it just became profit centered, right? It, right. And so now garbage. Yeah. So just now it's dumping now it's garbage well, directly it, into it people's It doesn't heads. necessarily have to be garbage, but it's kind of whatever sells. Do you find are you, are you frightened for the future? Sometimes I am. It's hard to say. It's um it seems I mean publishing is definitely approaching a crisis and then I've watched I have a bunch of musician friends and so I've kind of watched the record industry dissolve go through its crisis yeah and there does seem to be certain kind of upsweeps that happen from it so we'll t- it, only time will tell i guess and you play you play accordion i do did you play since you were a kid no i took it up in college do you play conjunto music or polka music i play all kinds of stuff i mean the nice thing about the accordion is that it's kind of a bastard uh gypsy instrument so you can fit in in a bunch of situations i was in a klezmer band for a long time i played country western and then now, Country mostly Western. I sit in with the magnetic fields. But friends of mine are coming into town this weekend. I'm going to play with them. They're, they're Canadian pop. So, so you're a good accordion player. I'm not very good, but the thing with playing accordion is that you're probably the best accordion player anybody knows. So <laughs> it's really, if I played guitar as well as I played accordion, no one would care. But then instead, people are like, oh, an accordion. I haven't played with that guy. Yeah, sure. 
try him out on a couple numbers. How come there's no Lemony Snicket uh, uh, cartoon series? Um, oh, I don't know. I the, when the they made this movie, um, I remember the movie <clears> with Jim Carrey. Did you have problems? It was really no. I, I well, I mean, I worked on the movie for a long time, and then I was fired. But other than that, I didn't have problems. Fired from your own movie? Oh yeah. So there was actually a great moment where I um where I was visiting the set, and um they said, "Oh yeah, go around to this side door, and we'll let you in." And that the they couldn't hear me because they'd like started something, and so I was banging on this door that said on it "Lemony Snicket," and I just felt like I wanted <laughs> wanted this moment <laughs> captured on black velvet. So they go, "Let me in to the thing with I me." Created it. Um. It was scary to watch. For a while, it was Paramount and Nickelodeon that were kind of in charge of spreading the Snicket news. And, um, I mean, talk about cults. They they could spread news of anything. You know, they just had this power. They had just made a couple of teenagers into rock stars. And I don't remember what their names are now because they're, that was five generations of teen star ago. Sure. Um, but, um, but it was like they could sell anything. They just... Could, you know, they just said, oh, yeah, we got this guy. We put him on Nickelodeon. And I'd been at the meeting where they'd mentioned him, and I'd never heard of him. And then, like, six months later, in Times Square, huge images of him. Every, everyone loved I that I say guy. his name was Nick Carter, but I feel like that's a detective from the 30s. Well, I think at some point that's what happened to culture and what happened to uh, to entertainment product was yeah. that they realized that they couldn't quite figure out a way to hold on to the parents, but they knew they could always get the parents' money through the kids. Right. So I think over time the entire the entire culture became infantilized, you know, just because they just made product that was that would cross over. That's why you hear about all those movies. It's like, well, it's for kids, but grown ups like it too. Does everything have to be like that? You know what? Yeah, I always think it's funny because it's not actually like grown-ups like it too. It's just that kids can't go to the movies by themselves. You know, not, <laughs> but they throw I in a couple think jokes. That's funny, but they're like, and it's for grown-ups, and I'm like, it's not for grown-ups. The grown-ups are just there. Yeah, there's no because you don't want to leave your kid at the theater. <laughs> well, you can't. You yeah. should be able to. There should be. Well, I did when I was a kid. My parents would drop me off just about anywhere. Yeah, and I think at a very young age they were more than willing to. I now mean, that's frowned upon, but it's still, but it's still for younger kids. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was sent to camp just because my I'm parents. I'm kind of unplugged from that whole thing because our kid is something of a scaredy cat, and then we're something of a scaredy tight cat. intellectuals, and so no, we're not nervous parents, but like he hasn't been to a movie. But it's not, what do you mean he hasn't been to a movie? He hasn't been to a movie in a theater. What? What's that? What are you talking He's six about? Six and a half. But it's time to take him to the movies. Yeah, I want to. We keep on looking because um, we live right in the Castro Theater, which is so fantastic, and sometimes they show great. That, you know, and I don't mean like a Casablanca. I just mean like Shrek or something, because uh-huh. it would be so fun to go to one. And he doesn't really—I don't think he even has a sense of what going to a movie theater is huh. and seeing a movie because he's never. I, I think this is freakish, Daniel. He's only six and a half. Also, he's scared of everything. But how are you gonna? What, what's your plan? To take him to the movie someday. Well, I mean, what's your plan to get him over these fears? Because I was frightened, kid, and I'm still frightened. And then I get—I got angry. So you and... never got over it. That, no, it, well, I pretended not to be frightened. What happens when you're frightened? If you don't overcome the fear, then you you just you know get angry and you pretend like you're not afraid. That's no way to go through life. But that's yeah, the way funny. we all My sister life. was just talking to me about this because she's um, she fundraises for a living and she's really good at it. She's super charming. Yeah. And I said to her once, "How do you walk into these rooms? I've seen the rooms of people you walk into, and they're often not at all interesting to you, and you manage to charm them." And she said. I think of what a person who would be interested in these people would say, and then I say that, and I thought it was a fascinating answer. That's why it was almost like she was acting. So like, Dale my Carnegie character stuff. thinks yeah. that person's interesting. Why? Well, like I never think that. I'm I'm with a boring person, and I think like, where's the bourbon? Yeah, that's all I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do I say that offends you that'll make you move away from me? But not, that's not so offensive that you'll go around saying you won't believe what Handler just said, or at least make the conversation interesting. Yeah, right. But how do you plan to 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 have you to, like roller coasters, that kind of stuff? No, he's six and a half. You don't know anything don't, about kids. He's too young. Okay, I understand. He just graduated from kindergarten. You didn't okay. go on a roller coaster in kindergarten. I, I, I won't go you on one now. Saw, like two Disney movies when right. you were in kindergarten. But you have a big screen TV? No, we have a, actually a small crappy TV. Oh, see, now I'm worried about your kid. I want him not to be We afraid. don't really watch TV. You don't? No. What do you do for entertainment? You play games? Board <laughs> games? 
What do you make candles? Do you, is that what you do? Or do you just sit around and drink bourbon with your kid? <laughs> yeah, we do that a lot. Um, he, yeah, we we have some DVDs. We, he walks his electric company, which you know the old ones the with old, Morgan Freeman. There is no new one. Yeah, so Morgan Freeman and Rita Moreno. Is there still? You can get that in a box set. Yeah, the Morgan Freeman electric. Yeah, company? in fact, sadly, what it what the box set says on it is. Um, for, it says something like, for nostalgic purposes only, not for education. Because um, even though it does teach you to read, and it's what teaching my kid to read, some of the subject matter is, um, it's not even, it's not racy or anything, but it's not what they would ever put in children's public. Like what? Children's television now. Do you know? We were just watching it last night, and one of the words, they just had all these words that they were sending out, and one of them was rum. And it's just an example, like, because Otter said, what is rum? And we said, oh... It's something you put in cocktails that grown-ups drink, you know. But now they would never use the word rum to help you sound something out on children's television, which is ridiculous, of course. But it is ridiculous. What do you think about that? Do you, I mean, you're in the uh, you're in the lofty crew. You're you're running with the uh, McSweeney's bunch. I mean, they all have children. I mean, yeah. do, do you uh, do you have moments where you're like, why are we parenting like this? Well, I I don't parent like that, and I don't know people who. I mean, I don't know no, no friends of mine parent people like that. I've seen parents like that, but I don't think. I don't actually think that's because of parental demand. I think that's because of corporate paranoia about getting sued. That's it? I just think of it. I don't think there are really so many people who you, say, oh, my God, I have to explain rum to my children. Right. But do you think I that's... I think that about homosexuality. There's all that, like, what am I going to say to my kids? And I always think, it's like a two-sentence explanation. Yeah. What's so complicated? The sentence is, he likes men. Yeah. Yeah. And they're happy. And I have a memory of when my parents told me about homosexuality, which they did young because it was here in San Francisco. And I had like a minute and a half freak out about that. And I always think there should be like a minute and a half freak out for the nation and then get over it. You know, Barack Obama should be like tomorrow, 2.35 p.m. Uh, Everyone has to freak like yeah. anyone who's not over it. Right. Yet, needs to freak out about it. And then you're done. You don't get to talk about it ever again. But you think it's you think it's corporate fear of but don't you not you don't think that there is a, a, a sort of virulent puritanical uh, ridiculous streak in this country that is service. Oh, a streak, but I don't think it's like the majority. No, but I think that the corporations are afraid of losing that market. So they're more pandering to them by by monitoring this shit than they are really afraid of, of being sued. Don't you think? I don't know. You it's don't. hard to say. It's um. Here's an example. At my ele- at my kids' elementary school, there's a morning assembly every morning. Yeah. And they do exercises as part of it. And one day they said to me, "Would you lead the exercises?" Like different people took turns. And so I was like, "Yeah, sure." So I I said, "I'm going to teach you guys how to go go dance." And we all, I I was like, yeah, and taught them all these steps. And one of them was a shimmy. Yeah. You know, it was like 20 seconds long, and the kids loved it. Yeah. So then I got to do it like once a week. It was like Thursday, here he comes again, go-go dancing. And then some parent complained once, said um, it objectified, go-go dancing objectifies women. It really ticked me off because the only people I know have ever go-go danced have been men. Like I know like five men who've go-go danced for a living. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, a single woman. Yeah. And, um, and so the principal said, maybe we ought not to do it. And I said, we're going to stop something that like everybody loves because that person, like that's, it's undemocratic among other things. Right. And it's also like, that's such a weird progressive puritanical complaint. Yeah. It's not even like go-go dancing is, is the, uh, the dance of the devil. It's like, you know, look, you know, in, exactly. in, yeah, in the world where I come from, go-go equals stripper equals making meat of women. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, not in this town, honey, yeah. it's Knob Hill male theater. <laughs> <laughs> if you're skinny enough and you don't care, you make good money right after you graduate from college. <laughs> but not that? if you're a woman. No, not here. Yeah, that's what I said to the principal. I said, if you really want to delve into the sexual politics of go-go dancing, it's not misogynist, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Because it's You it's, said that to him? Yeah. And what did he say? She she said, she laughed. She didn't care. You know, she just said, I'm nervous now about this parent. And I and I just thought, but it's the only one parent, so we didn't cancel it. You didn't? No. You won. Yeah. Oh, did that parent take his kid out or her kid? No, I don't I just think they wanted to grumble. I don't you know I don't know where the notion got to be that you don't get to be uncomfortable. I always think that's weird. Right. You know? Yeah. It is it's sometimes too much progressive is bad. Yeah. It's very annoying. It just seems weird to me. Because it's a censorship belt, you know, based on guilt as opposed to principles. And like self-righteous Jews do it. You know, they're like, yeah. there's a Christmas tree in the airport. 
You know, and yeah. I'm like, I don't like Celine Dion, but there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> She's everywhere. <laughs> there's nothing. What? You know? I want to thank you for coming to my hotel room and talking to me. Uh, my pleasure. And Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great talking to you. And uh, I, I probably will read more Lemony Snicket because I don't think you're you're ever too old. Um. Well, thank you. I don't think you're ever too old. Oh no! Wait, you meant? I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Never mind. What's the that new book going to be about? Uh. I have a book for grown-ups coming out about pirates, and then I'm working on something for children that's kind of top secret. Top secret? Yeah. I want a scoop. Um, no I'm way, I'm not giving huh? it to you. Yeah. Really? Not even the missus. You're not telling your wife? Well, she knows I'm working on it, but she doesn't. She hasn't What's the book about anything. pirates? Uh, it's about some people, some teenage girls, and some um, uh, people at an old age home who get angry at the world and try to become pirates in the kind of classical mode. They steal a boat and are trying to steal treasure and harass people around the San Francisco Bay. But it doesn't go that well. Is this for this is for adults? Yeah. And it's teenage girls and as old, pirates. Old men and ladies, yeah. Who all become pirates. Yeah. They're angry and they try to escape into a world of piracy. With the outfits? <laughs> yeah. With parrots? The, Are there parrots? Parrots. There's a parrot. Is there eye patches? Just walk on the plank. There's eye patches. Yeah. There's the whole thing. It's funny, I'm assuming. I hope so. <laughs> so we're looking forward to the pirate book. And, uh, thank you. Uh, and whatever else you uh, uh, you offer up. And I'm glad you stopped by again, Daniel Handler. Thank uh, you. Thanks for having me. See you later. In the studio right now, why am I calling the studio? Just because I got a new table. I got a new table, and all of a sudden it's a studio. In the garage at the Cat Ranch with the new table uh, is almost Dr. Steve. Are you a doctor yet? It's, uh, you know, we're going to milk this for what we can, or maybe I'm just having trouble finishing the dissertation, but it's almost Dr. Steve for another month or so. Okay, so we can milk it for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. So now the issue today, Steve, is uh, I, I am... How do I put this? I'm an anorexic girl. I have a problem. I mean, I know where it comes from. I know that my mother was uh, had eating disorders, but it goes beyond that. And I think it's my mm-hmm. deepest fucking issue. I can't get around it. I have body dysmorphia. I think, like right now, I'm uncomfortable because my fat is hitting the chair. Mm-hmm. Do you see that fat? I can't see it. Okay, so what's that about? It's the studio setup, actually. I might be able to see it if I look closely. Maybe maybe it's something that only I am making up, but I, I tell you, it, it's been the guiding force of my life that if I feel heavy or I feel uncomfortable in my body, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to disappear. Mm-hmm. Is it a common thing with men, first of all? Uh, well, first of all, it is becoming more and more common with men. What do you make of that? And uh, what do I make of that? Yeah. I make there's a it's so multi-layered. But one of the layers is uh, the sort of revising of the media image of what the perfect male body is. Um, Too many abs around. A lot, a lot of, of abs. Being hit of, in the face with abs all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't look anywhere without being smacked in my brain with abs. V-shaped bodies. I actually I read something the other day that was pretty hilarious. That if the uh, extreme gi joe of the current day were to be extended into a five foot ten man Mm. he would have like 50 times bigger biceps than the greatest weightlifter ever so we're going to blame some of this on uh cultural uh mediated images absolutely okay so that that explains a lot of the sort of metrosexual gym culture Mm -hmm. uh you you know how you know how little body fat you have to have for abs I mean, I think I had abs for two weeks once when I was emaciated. So outside of the cultural uh, indicators, why do I feel great like that? Because it's the only time my mother would like me? Is that it? Something like that. I think with you, that that's probably one of the biggest areas is being the son of someone who struggled with eating disorders. Okay, but let's talk about eating disorders in a general way. I mean, what is that? About? I, I guess it's about control, right? I mean, when some, like I saw an anorexic girl last night, which makes me nauseous. Uh, with sadness, mm-hmm. where you just like, you know, eat something, but they can't eat something Mm-mm. because they think they look good or they still think they look fat or what? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a combination of those things. After a certain point, things go on chemically, neurochemically that actually really start to uh, make the anorexic unable to see anything close to reality. Because they're from lack of nourishment, they're delusional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on top of them being already delusional? Absolutely. That's a good high, though. It seems like one at the time perhaps but like the kind of other highs that you 
looked for before that were very detrimental to your health. Okay, so you're saying that's not a healthy thing. It's I understand extremely that. unhealthy. But then what about all this fatness? Do mm-hmm. I do I look fat? No, you don't look fat. And, what? And and I, you know what? You what did, did you say? I said you don't look fat. Oh. You know how I was able to do that so easily? How? I have that conversation with my wife every day. Are you serious? Every day. Now what's the, what's the issue there? Because you carry a little paunch. Yeah, I've I've got a paunch. As a matter wanna, of fact, I, I, I like the way you looked over. The, I don't want to. I don't want to be insensitive. Right. right. But I've you know I, I the only reason I'm doing a podcast is so that I don't, no one has to know that. But here we go. Yeah, you got they a little paunch. I got a little paunch, and it's actually some of it I would say is kind of a natural thing, and some of it is something that I could should work on. Right. It's part of it is the old, almost doctor thing, sitting around writing a dissertation all the time. Uh-huh. Took me out of my exercise so regimen. So you're saying excuses? Right, excuses. Okay. But then the other part of of it is is that so a lot of this is genetic and i come from a family that has struggled with weight all their lives pretty much everyone so you, else in my family is this part of the big boned argument it's not just an argument it's uh it's actually a fact that if you look at what people consider to be the ideal body and the thing is is that your version of things the sort of um as you're putting it uh, anorexic girl but anorexic man or anorexic thinking man right is more of kind of a, a, a 70s 80s rocker kind of look that has you know continued into our day where there's a belief that it's not about the muscle mass it's about you know this how lanky you are exactly don't you hate guys that don't guy. get any weight that can just eat and eat and eat and not gain any weight it used to bother me and it i guess it still bothers me now in a sense the other thing is that when you're immersed in Weight Watchers or uh, OA, Grayscale, whatever you're doing mm-hmm. to, to manage your weight, even if it's just an exercise regimen and, and not eating carbs, it's all you think about. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of the few things that you do have control over, what right. you put in your dumb face, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And the fact is that this culture of dieting, which has been going on forever and ever, right, right. that is in a lot of ways or for many people is the beginning of it that you get into that culture of dieting and you believe that dieting is going to work and the numbers just insane like the different studies you know it's numbers up to like 97 percent of people who diet gain the weight back within five years well five years that's not a bad run man if you can take 20 off 25 off and get like a three-year ride out of it that's pretty good yeah, well, we'll look at those percentages to see if it looks as perfect as that. But One time a guy, Mitch, said to me when I was freaking out about uh, weight, he goes, you know how you solve that? Just eat the same thing every day. Mm. Uh, well, Where's the joy? I had a friend do that, but he, what he did was, uh, this is as he a- exited his heroin addiction, uh, every day for a year he ate the same thing every day, which was pancakes, bacon, and eggs in the morning and a double bacon cheeseburger. Did he afternoon. have a heart attack? He didn't, but he gained about 80 pounds. Uh, and then he stopped. But you got to forgive people. They quit smoking. They quit heroin. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to give them a little leeway. And that that is the way. You know, some people don't develop full blown eating disorders like we're talking about. We're, we're talking about different aspects of it. But um, some people do switch to the food when they're coming off of another addiction or they're trying to fix their feelings in some way. But some people, it is the food, and that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons we have such an obesity problem. Okay, mm-hmm. granted, there's bad food, but like you know, just from by virtue of the fact of of people that. I write me for, uh, here at the podcast mm-hmm. or just by virtue of the fact that that people uh, in this narcissistic culture we live in are hiding a lot they're stuffing a lot of feelings they're mm-hmm. trying to get by they're not honoring their the voice of frustration and sadness that they have in them so food is one of the few things that is insanely accessible mm-hmm. any time of day yep. don't need an ID for it mm-hmm. don't need to be a certain age to shove whatever you want into your face and I think people find it comforting. Now, tell me a little bit about the obese people. That that it's it's sort of an old concept that you know when you are obese or you have that type of eating disorder, it's like you know that you're half obese. What, what, how 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 come it continues? Because I know there must be self hatred involved in that. That and and I know that feeds the discomfort, which feeds the addiction. I've been in other addictive processes before, but after a certain point, I mean, how can how can they not stop? Well, in that way, it's the it, it, it's the flip side of the same coin with the people who are starving themselves. In as much as there are a lot of disorders comorbid with these eating disorders, comorbid, which means you know that go along with. I know? like that word, comorbid, yeah. folks. Make note of it. Comorbid. Yeah. Why can't you just see goes along with? Why does that have to have morbid in it? Then I wouldn't does have it, anything is, to talk about in doctor school. I know, but comorbid, does that mean it has to be morbid? Like it has to be like a pathology? 
like comorbid? Yes. yes. Well, comorbid disorders. You know, so we're talking about when things go to a place that you put it, you know, you you give it a diagnosis. I've had a comorbid relationship or two. Yeah, I've I've heard about them <laughs> over the phone and on your podcast. So, um, in any case, you know, depression, you know, uh, anxiety disorders, you know, mood disorders and anxiety disor- disorders in in um, uh, in particular. So a person. Uh, either starts with the, let's say you start with the depression, you're eating on top of it, and then, yeah. then it becomes a snowball. Right. Or you're eating a lot, and you start to get your self esteem gets affected by you know uh, getting larger. Yeah, and you could fall into other aspects of depression, etc. And again, snowball. So and also the the biggest problem is it tastes so fucking good to just shove food in your mouth. Well, I mean, like ice last night. I'm like, if I start with ice cream, mm-hmm. it's going to go on for a few days, mm-hmm. and then some you know Girl Scout or some form of you know beautiful teenage girl comes by with peanut brittle mm-hmm. and scented candles. And uh, chocolates for something. I didn't even question, you know, what it was. She mm-hmm. needed help of some kind. There was a group of them, so I said, "Give me peanut brittle." So now I'm like crunching up peanut brittle into vanilla ice cream, and then putting some chocolate fudge ice cream on. And there's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there, it, it's. I want to get some right now. Yeah, that's and the other problem. It tastes so fucking good, doesn't it? It, it does. And uh, uh, the the thing that we have here in in the United States, and it's spreading throughout the world, or has spread throughout the world. I mean, you cannot ignore the influence of fast food, corn and syrup, corn syrup, very very high fat, very very high salt, very very high sugar. Salt diet. holds water. It does. Like sometimes you, you you think you're really fat, but you're just full of water. Mm-hmm. So how do you treat this, Steve? I mean, what? What would you tell me to do? Because like I'm clearly in pretty good shape. I'm not fat, but I think I am all the time. Would you say, "Hey, stop thinking about that. Give me the tough love thing"? I would. Uh, no, I probably wouldn't do that. But I would. I would work with you on the thought processes because that's a lot of what's going on with you. I guess what it is with me is that I think I need something to sort of fester about. Like that, to, mm-hmm. to sort of make me go, I'm not a good person. You know, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not attractive enough. I need to sh- fight that struggle because in some fucked up way, I think it grounds me. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? I mean, it's not grounding me in anything good, but it's consistent. Yes. It, that the, Well, that's that's where you start to look at it from the, uh, the addiction perspective. Mm. Because what addictions feel like they do is they, you know, at a certain point is they ground you. You know, like when I was a kid, I needed that drink. When I was a kid, I needed to eat that ice cream. Or when I was a kid, I needed to um, shoplift or whatever it is. And then it feels so good. It feels really good. And then mm. at a certain point, mm-mm, doesn't feel as good anymore. So Food always feels pretty good in my face. And that's, you know, that is one of the problems that that's also why, you know, I have a friend who we talk about this a lot and, you know, we talk about if we were to put the ultimate rehab together, it would be, uh, it would always involve food, sex and money because those are the three things. Those three things are the core of life and they uh, are the things that tend to go together. Going back to what you're talking about with um, the control, that is a huge part of eating disorders, and a huge part of it has to do with people wanting to have boundaries or create boundaries where boundaries maybe weren't there in the first place. How do you explain? Well, you know, I get to choose, like you said, I get to choose what goes in my mouth. I get to choose how my body ends up being constructed through the food that I eat. And so that's mine. And you can't take that from me. You know, I get to control that. Yeah. And so that also... Fuck goes, you, where's my pizza? Like that, yeah. Or, fuck you, I'm not eating pizza. What are you trying to do to me? Right. Those those are the options. So let's get back to you and your wife. Mm. Uh, that's, that, that sounds interesting to, me, interesting to me. Let me wear the doctor's hat. Sure, go ahead. So what what, what are you experiencing at home with around this issue, Steve? Uh, basically, it's a daily struggle with her focusing as much as she can on my uh, lack of abdominal structure and her also um, focusing completely on the... I mean, she practically has washboard abs. You, you know her, but she doesn't you know, show them off that way a lot. But she practically has washboard abs and daily she talks about how she is fat. Just Just before I came over here, she said, I feel like a fat piece of shit. 
that's what she said. That's what me. you left the house with? That's you... well, just before I left the house. She got a little more cheerful. Uh, just we'll kind of set you up but... for our conversation. Mm-hmm. All right, so let me see what's the next step here for me. Uh, uh, almost uh, Dr. Mark. I'm not even mm-hmm. almost, but okay, Dr. Mark. So she, she brings up her body issues, mm-hmm. and then she she says, then she transposes it. Projects it. Yeah. I know. She, she projects it onto you and says, when are you going to go to the gym? That's right. And how does that make you feel? It makes me feel not so good. But you know what? I've, I've gotten used to it in terms of the negotiations that go on. You know, every now and then she will say enough things about that are completely demented and delusional about her appearance that I will say, you know, we're, we're sending you in-house. You've got to go for some 30 days. And then you also realize this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. I know that I have a punch, but it's got mm-hmm. to hurt a little bit. A little bit, you know, like, it, it, I mean, it hurts a lot of it. I grew up in a house, like I said, where actually it was a little strange. I was kind of, I never struggled with weight or even had a, any degree of a punch until a very, you know, like in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my family um, uh, has struggled with weight throughout their lifespan. Uh-huh. And so there always seemed to be, uh, they used to seem to like they were eyeballing me, you know, like what's, what's up with you? You know, yeah. like they, I Get was on board with getting the, the same cloud of food, but for some reason I had like the metabolism of hummingbird or something. I don't know what was going on. I, I used to eat, yeah, but, um, I never had that struggle. And my dad used to, you know, like I remember Mickey Lolich p- pitched for the, uh, Detroit Tigers, uh-huh. you know, big, big, more than a punch, you know, and he used yeah. to point out all those kind of fat athletes and go, hey, right. that's an athlete yeah, right there. You know, like yeah, it's the old art. Keith Richards is still alive. Same Ooh, argument. Right. With and, the drug use and smoking. So I, that was put to me as sort of like a uh, vision of uh, beauty in yeah, my family. Right. And Fat so I, people can make it. Yeah, sure they can. Yeah. And as for me, I was different and other than yeah. in the family. Yeah. So that's a, a button that it pushes since we're doing almost sure. Dr. Mark. Yeah. You know, that's a button that it pushes for me is uh, it pushes the sort of. Uh, that that sort of I'm the outcast in my family, and at the same time I'm now I belong to my family, but at the same time society's telling me I shouldn't have the punch. Right, and to, to share some common experience, my mother said fairly recently that mm-hmm. she didn't know if she could love me if I were fat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's recently. Now, now I, I guess then what I would say to you is, are you able to separate from those uh, you know bad childhood images or, or the, that that feeling and those experiences and, and acknowledge the reality of your fat? Well, um, that, that was a good quote of my wife calling it fat, but um, the- What would you call it? I would just call it my, I call it my pizza baby. I guess that's the same thing. Well, that's cute, but I mean, yeah, let's be cute. honest. I mean, if we're going to- it, it needs to go. In terms of health, you know, when I've looked at the statistics and, you know, the chance of me dropping dead, I, I should lose it. Mm. You know, I really do need to lose it. And I w- as soon as I finish this dissertation, I will be back you'll, on you'll, my regular exercise sure, regimen. Sure, sure, you'll kick tomorrow. Um, but- the- <laughs> <laughs> Mark bus Dr. Steve's denial <laughs> film at 11. So um in any case the, the the one I'm able to um see how her projection onto me and my so- starting to filter it through the family thing I'm able I am able to stop to answer your question really I am able to stop that I'm able to step back and see that the combination of my own family stuff and the cultural stuff that I was raised with, you know, because I was raised sort of in my teen years in a rocker culture that, you know, and, and I was able to fill that suit for a long time. And ever since I haven't been able to, I felt like I didn't have a place where my body could live. You know, what I was actually, you know, I got, here's here's how I help myself around this stuff is that not about a year ago, I, I lost a bunch of weight in a contest with my friend Sam, and I got very skinny, you know, mm-hmm. more skinny than I've been in a long time, and I was wearing skinny jeans on stage, and I look like a bobblehead. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, everything, my head doesn't get any skinnier, mm-hmm. and I have a big head. So, what I started to realize is that even though that makes me feel great, that it's really not healthy, it doesn't make me look good, and that I have to have some self-acceptance around where I am, and I have to somehow you know, maintain an exercise regimen and, and try not to, to eat compulsively right? That, on a practical level. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think that, like in talking to you, that I think people should realize is that it's a slow process and, mm-hmm. and it takes a certain amount of discipline and commitment, but once you, 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 you slowly adjust to it, you know, to exercising a little more and not eating certain things, you don't have to go crazy, that it will change. You will feel better about yourself just for doing that. And and you stay with that, and you will see results over a month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a matter of realizing that, because I think a lot of us also in this culture, like, I want to lose it tomorrow. I need mm-hmm. to lose it in a week. How mm-hmm. come I'm not seeing any results? Right. Fuck it. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, you got to sort of try to accept who you are, where you are at that moment. Like if you're uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. instead of going, uh, instead of saying like, I'm, I'm five pounds overweight. Uh, and, and then the next thing you should say is, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to change my diet a little bit and exercise a little more. Mm-hmm. Not I'm a fucking idiot. God right. damn it. Look at me. Mm-hmm. This is fucking disgusting. I mean, I've gotten to the point where if I feel fat and someone I'm with tries to touch me, I'm like, I literally mm-hmm. want to leave my fucking body. Yep. That's how it manifests. That how, that's how it manifests for a lot of people. And we're not even talking about people with eating disorders. We're talking about that. They're, you know, probably crawling around LA today at this moment are people who are experiencing those kind of experiences, which is not to be a walking billboard for therapy, but that's. The, all that that mind stuff that goes with it some of it is dealt with through the just the very practical notion of improving the exercise regimen and improving the eating and getting the f- residual feelings from that but that a lot of that mind stuff has been with people and with you with right. me it's right for a long time fighting, programmed into us fighting the switch that goes i'm an idiot mm-hmm. i'm fucking worthless i'm mm-hmm. unattractive mm-hmm. you know i'm uh you know i look horrible mm-hmm. well, that's the same thing uh i'm an asshole for eating like that like that way that we beat each other right. up beat, or beat ourselves up mm-hmm. so you still belong to the why uh yeah <laughs> i had to think about that because it's been a while yeah i do because i I used to see you down there occasionally. Yeah, but I'm at the South Pass Y now because it's closer to where I live. All right, so you wanna you wanna go to the gym or? Yeah, let's go to the gym. Well, I guess that helps. I guess I'm all set. I guess I'm fucking hungry, man. I'm gonna go eat the rest of that cake. It's got uh, it's got like orange zest, almond meal, corn meal, ricotta cheese, eggs, sugar. A little bit, some figs and rosemary. It's really lovely. Too crumbly, which means I can't serve it, so I have to shovel it all into my face. Go to WTFPod.com and please get on the mailing list. I'm putting a lot of work into those emails. I'd like to send you some. Could you do that? Thank you. And please, uh, I could use a little uh, a little financial support. I'm not begging. I think I'm doing a good show here. So why don't you donate a little money if you could. If you donate 250 bucks, I'll send you all kinds of stuff. A couple t-shirts, all the CDs, WTF Best Of CD. Uh... That would be nice. You know, follow us on Twitter. Do that kind of stuff. Also, I told you the dates. Boston. Or let's let's just run through them real quick. You can go to the website, WTFPod.com. Get my dates or go to MarkMarin.com. But let's run through them again. The 16th, there'll be a live WTF at UCB in LA with Craig Robinson and Ed Krasnick. 17th, I will be in Minneapolis at the Triple Rock Social Club. Okay? The 19th and 20th of July, Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, the 23rd of July, I will be at Great Scott in Boston. The 24th, I will be at the Comedy Studio uh, in Cambridge, but just for a short set. So don't stop yourself from going to Great Scott. And then come around the 28th, I will be going to England. I'll be doing a run at the Soho Theater through the first week of August. And later in August, I believe the second week, second weekend of August, I'll be at the Laughing Skull in Atlanta. Go to WTFPod.com or MarkMarin.com to check those dates and get tickets. Go to punchlinemagazine.com. Go to standuprecords.com. These are people that help me, so I'm helping them go enjoy what they have to offer. Okay, now I'm going to go eat cake. Cake, here I come. Cake, here I come.